0: 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, ignition sequence
1: start, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, launch commit, Liptoff. we have liftoff. Welcome back to Driving Life, I'm your co-host, as always, Owen Trinkley, next to me, Donovan Degelau. Oh oh, is he trying to like, do like
2: what are we looking forward to today because this was a lot of fun
1: yeah so today's episode was with uh mr alex smith uh, i mean you've been to vir yep super special place to me unbelievable facility over there and um the smith family is um you know kerrigan his uh alex's son kerrigan smith actually is ceo of uh, vir now and then um I stay with Alex every time I go over to VIR with the Smith family, his wife, Gail, and stuff. And so it's just a, it's a special place for me. And I think you will feel this in the episodes, because um, I say it's going to be a two-part series uh, with them. It's just one of these things where we just couldn't stop. And Alex is very humble, because I was texting with him today that, hey, your, your stuff is, uh, we're working on it, and it's coming out this week. You met him, Donovan, how humble he is. And he's like, you sure about that? I said, I am positive.
2: Yeah. So I think that's the thing that struck me the most. Knowing your background, I felt like maybe I was kind of like the third wheel, you know, in that whole scenario. And Michael and I, you know, when we went to set up and, you know, get everything ready for the podcast, whatever, Alex and Gail just, it was like, I was old friends with them. I mean, they didn't miss a beat with me. So I completely get where you're coming from you know as the as that being a second home and i can only imagine for the time that you've spent there and you know what i've been there one time and i felt like i was family
1: yeah yeah they're they're unbelievable people and they're they're exactly what driving life is all about and they were on my radar to to get them on and um it's just it's going to be you know there's just a lot of good stuff in it you know it's his background and everything that he did in fundraising with um his day job and now he's retired and now he gets to spend a lot of time at V I R and you know, we talk about, you know, him spending a little bit more time in his Porsche and how he kinda got to this point and Yeah, and
2: isn't that really everybody's dream? I know it's mine, right? Yeah. (laughs) To to weekend on a racetrack
1: and have a car in the garage. Yeah. You know, that in the garage there in his villa. Yeah. On the uphill S's at V I R.
2: Yeah. It's uh it's pretty impressive. It could be a tent, and I would be down with it. But they've got a, you know, they've done very nice things. Again, you know, we talk about it in the episode. The some of the memorabilia on the walls and the stories go for miles. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and some of the people that have been in, and he talks about this in both the episodes, is some of the people that have been in in the villa, and they and you signed the book. So I you, did. So you're right in there, man. Yeah. So yeah. I bring the value down. But I do sign the book every time. They make sure that you sign. You sign the book every time you're you're in that villa. It's just it's really special to kind of see some of the signatures that are on some of the pages. You just kind of flip through, you know, a couple of the past pages and stuff to look at that.
2: Yeah, and that's you know, you know, Laura and I when we've traveled in the past, you know, when you stay at an Airbnb or or somewhere like that, we've seen those books. We actually had one in ours, uh, you know, for people to sign. Yeah. Um, and the memories that, you know, come back from that, you're, you're flipping through it and you're like, oh, I remember this and I remember doing that. And Alex is just so humble. But to watch him, to because I sat there and just I kind of watched like I always do. Right. And to to see him go back to those moments and talk about that, it was really, really special to be a part of that. And yeah. And I know he was, you know, again, being humble about, you know, I I'm, I'm not sure I need to be on the podcast and that kind of thing. It's exactly yeah what we look for. It is.
1: And I don't think I would be um I mean it's a special place to me, you know, and I've I've got to win there twice and to have um the first time I won there they were the first people I saw in Victory Lane. And that that's and I think I'm not going to embarrass you here, but you teared up at the end of our episode and it's like yeah. that, that was special to me that that meant, you know, they knew exactly what happened and they the villas for everybody listening that aren't, I mean, it's a little bit of a drive to get to yeah. victory lane where that is. And I did take a really slow lap that time because that just kind of soaked it all up because not only the Smiths are there, but my dad's first SECA driving school was there back in the seventies. And there's just a lot of stuff for me emotionally for that place. And, and to meet them in victory lane um, a couple of years ago for the first time, and then to go by there and do it back to back. That was, that was pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Enjoy the episode. Uh, at least part
1: one part one
0: yeah. of the
2: episode, and then we'll get back together for part two uh,
1: next week. Enjoy. Yeah, you guys enjoy, and uh, I say this all the time, love each other, take care of each other, and enjoy Mr. Alex Smith. This week, our guest, I would say they're my home-away-from-home um, home parents <laughs> at VIR, or the first family of VIR. We've got Alex Smith. Gail's not with us, but she's she's next door I think uh reading a book, but I mean a family that takes care of me and not only myself but and he can tell it you know everybody that comes through here and stays, but a lot of drivers come stay with you. I know Alex and um how you doing today, man?
0: doing great thank you
1: thanks for being on because you're exactly i mean we were talking you're like, oh, I don't need to be on this. It's like actually the people we want I actually don't have to have any race experience at all, but you've got so much history and love for this sport and just the passion for driving. You're the perfect candidate that we actually want on the podcast, and so I'm so happy that, uh, that you're here today.
0: I'm happy to be here, and uh, <laughs> fire away, guys.
1: <laughs> well, go ahead, Donovan. No,
2: I was just going to say, we had talked a little bit briefly earlier, and the, the whole premise of the podcast is to – Take it to the people, right? And and feel the the passion and the love for automobiles. And I think this where we're at right now kind of epitomizes that. Um, we're literally surrounded by um, some fantastic Porsche memorabilia. Looking at the climbing S's at V.I.R. This is this is what we're after uh, and what we're looking for, and the people that we want to you know showcase on the on the podcast. Yes, it's about the cars, but it's about the relationships and the people. And I mean, clearly. Uh, over the years, you've built some great relationships and have some some great stories, I'm sure, and that's why we're just ex- super
0: excited to have you on the show uh, today. Thank you very much. My wife and I are relationship builders. We really enjoy people, and we maintain our relationships with people. Uh, I know my wife, is Gail, is very authentic. when She likes to help people be with people. Um, the memorabilia and the history is really... Uh, a long road of accumulation mm-hmm. and um, it's easy to go out there, especially today with the internet and buy a bunch of stuff. Uh, I, I don't think I've really bought much of anything. It's either been given to me or people have uh, uh, been generous and uh, uh, traded something or something like that. Um, back to Owen's comment about the drivers coming through. Uh, that that's really Gail's gets credit for that. Uh, she cooks a breakfast or cooks a dinner or something, and it's not very glamorous. She often does laundry for a driver that's been on the road too long, and uh, she's got some pretty famous underwear out there that she's uh, <laughs> uh, right, right. more or less uh, taken care of. So, uh, um, but I can dr- pretty much uh, summarize my automotive experience in one short sentence um, uh, I never learned how to play golf I don't know <laughs> I don't know how to play golf and I was an athlete in high school in college I played college football and I really uh, you know I have a competitive nature uh, but I, you know round balls and things like that, that most men end up doing uh, didn't seem to stick with me and I always liked cars. Uh, I'm, I'm not a collector or anything, and I, I don't know how to work on cars, but uh, I certainly enjoy driving uh, cars. And there's no big bank account at, with this family. Uh, I thought I'd married Bunny, but uh, she didn't have what I thought she <laughs> had. But, but she's a great chick. Uh, she really is. Uh, but, you know, it's probably been more fun getting to the car stage of life more slowly instead of just... Buying it all at once. Mm -hmm. So that's what we've done, and it started in college for me with with cars. So uh, my first car was a 1966 Austin Healey 3000. Um, It was new, and my dad said, "If you can stay in college and get good enough grades, I'll go halves with you. You got to find the other piece of money." And believe it or not, a brand new Austin Healey 3000 from our local. Sports car dealership that had about four cars uh, in the inventory was discounted was (laughs) $3,200. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I came up with half of it. It was a British Racing Green Austin Healey 3000. I loved it. Uh, I didn't know, you know, and Porsches were just coming on the scene then. That was kind of the Mm -hmm. 356 era. And I, where I lived in Virginia, uh, it was definitely not car culture. So the English cars were about the only thing you saw. I didn't see a, a Porsche until I went westward uh, in my college years for, you know, a, a trip or something. And I thought the English car was the living end, but it, you know, it, it had issues. It, you know, fell apart. Wheels came off. <laughs> they like were that. a little <laughs> finicky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a prettier body style than an Austin Healey 3000. Uh, and it was, um, it wasn't fast. I think zero to 60 was probably 10 or 12 seconds or something like that, but it had a nice overdrive. So it was a good touring car. Um, I was kind of proud of it until I needed to fix it. And I took it to an old BMC, I guess it is dealership, uh, British motor cars, uh, dealership that fixed MGs and Healy's and all that. And I, the old guy i remember his name i don't know why Ollie schultz and he said uh, i said gosh in this cool car and what do you think about it uh and he looked at me and he he says the engine's just a goddamn truck engine <laughs> <laughs> and, and is a, he german <laughs> yeah no it it was a british accent but, but he said it'll, it'll never break you know so so uh it was uh you know you know, it was kind of reassuring and he was right. That was about the only thing that didn't break on the car.
1: That, that Austin Healy. So your car, I mean, your passion for cars starts then like right before college, I guess, is that correct? In college, in college. And, um, and so we mentioned Gail a little bit in the opening. Um, she had to kind of pass a test I think too, before she got the green light.
0: Well, she, she was from (laughs) Midwest and, uh, When she saw the car, she totally insulted me. Uh, First of all, she said, oh, that's cute. Is it a Carmen Ghia? And I said, no. And she was from uh, the Midwest, so she grew up with uh, Pontiac GTOs and Corvettes and muscle cars, and that's all she knew. So she had never seen, uh, you know, an Austin Healey. But to her credit, when we dated, and I said, well, you want to drive? She could drive stick shift. And I said, well, this this gal's a keeper then. Uh, and there was no synchromesh in first gear on a Healy, so you know, it wasn't the easiest car to drive. But she she did pretty well. Uh, I think she told Owen a job, I mean, a, a story where she, uh, we were going about 70 miles an hour down a pretty, uh, a highway that's pretty close to a river, and she, she's, she didn't ask. She just pulled a lever on the right passenger side under the hood it's <laughs> yeah, a funny story thinking that it was a uh, a vent for fresh air and it turned out to be the hood latch so uh, oh. <laughs> at about 70 the hood doesn't come up all the way but it came up enough to get me to get my attention so michael <clears throat>
2: I'm, you have to learn how to drive a stick. I'm telling
0: you. I know. I, My parents told me that when I turned 16, it, before I could get my license, I had to learn how to drive a stick. And I was like, Psh,
1: whatever. Cool. Yeah, yeah, fine. And my mom took me out
0: one time in an empty church parking lot. And I did fine until I killed it. And then I started crying. So and I haven't driven it since. It hasn't been back in since. <laughs> yeah, well... I've cried many times when I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, all three, my children, I have three grown children, uh, had to learn stick. now Nowadays there's probably no stick cars left hardly, but, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want my daughter out on a date and couldn't get home if, uh, you know, the guy couldn't drive her home. So she drove stick. And so both sons know how to drive stick So, you know, I think that's a dying art for sure.
2: Oh yeah. For, well, that was one of the reasons I have my little Volkswagen, is one of the few cars I could find with a stick yeah. still in it. Yeah. And that's the one that she's paranoid to drive. But, <laughs> yeah. but you're right. There aren't very many of them. They're
1: yeah. really difficult to find. Yeah. yeah. So we got um, – Gail learns to drive the stick.
0: No, she already knew how. Well, she to drive. already
1: knew – she knew how to drive the Healy. Right. And then, um, I mean, now we're – where we're sitting now, your awesome, like, man cave at VIR. How did the – I mean, the car passion bring you – to the track and like how did that start to evolve and you know from your business life and stuff I know you just retired a couple years ago and now you've got more time to be here but I mean from the Healy to where we kind of are today where did the, the track passion start
0: uh it actually started with the Healy um I snuck away from college one afternoon uh I heard about a a track in Missouri. This is where the college was. Uh, college was in, in Illinois, so you go across the river. And I don't know if this racetrack still exists, Mid-America Raceway. It's probably a shopping center by now. But uh, they had, a, you know, bring, you, bring what you got and yeah. go out and have a track day. And I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody. Uh, all you had to have was a helmet, and I didn't have a helmet, and there was no helmet on campus. But since I played football, I went down to the trainer and said, can I borrow my helmet for the afternoon? And Your football helmet? Yeah, so I, okay. I wore my football helmet uh, in Austin Healy. Uh, they, they made me put the top up because I had no roll bar or anything like that.
1: So what, what face mask did you have on the helmet?
0: I had a double bar face mask. And
2: <laughs> so they weren't real strict with a, a helmet. Was it, right? That's
0: all it said was you need no a snow rating. No. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, this was back in the sixties yeah, right? <laughs> and they probably wanted my money more than they yeah. wanted me. So, uh, yeah. and that I said, man, this was lots of fun and I didn't hurt myself or hurt the car. So, uh, you know, I come, I came back to campus and, uh, said, you know, that's fun. I'd like to do more of that someday. But, um, other than driving that car, the wheels fell off practically, I never got a chance again. I, and Gail and I got married, and uh, family life took over. And yeah. I had station wagons and a pickup truck with a camper on the back, a shell on the back. And, you know, we did that. And I didn't get a, a sports car until I kind of picked off a few Audis there that could, they had four doors, so I could. And my kids were growing up and didn't need as much transportation. Um, I didn't get my first Porsche 911 until about 1988, 1989. Uh, And the track didn't come back to me. I did autocrossing. I've done everything I think you can do except drag racing. And I haven't done any of it very well. Um, I tried concours. I've done uh, rallies. I like rallies. I did one in Europe, I've done a couple in Texas, uh, I did a lot of autocrossing, and then thank goodness uh, I heard about VIR opening uh, in 2000, reopening in 2000, and I'd heard some things about it, and so I investigated coming down here and seeing what it was like, and I was just blown away by this place. The good thing uh, is my oldest son, Kerrigan, had left the ski industry uh, and uh, kind of by a coincidence, because I knew the racing family, uh, gotten into uh, racing part-time, and they were based here at VIR. So it kind of was a nice package for me. I could check on my son, and I got to... Hang out with a race team a little bit, and you know, learn things I wouldn't ordinarily learn. Yeah. Ordinarily, learn on my own, and then uh, got to drive on the track uh, and learn this track. and It's a marvelous track, but you don't learn it right away. It's it, you, I've worked hard to, you know, learn it and, and stay on it. Uh, so that's probably how VIR got started in my life uh, i've gone to other tracks but at my age uh you know pulling a car or mm. going from place to place and living in motels i don't want to do that anymore that's why uh, uh having a part-time home at vir is the living in for me uh really enjoy it and bless her heart gail is a good sport about it uh she really enjoys being here I, if she was faking it i would know
2: yeah, yeah, and I I asked her about that this afternoon. Uh, you know, it must be great to sit out on the on the deck here on the patio and, and on race day, and you know, seeing the cars come by and whatnot. And she says, you know, we have a lot of extra friends on race day. I said, I bet you do. Yeah. It's amazing how that that could happen when the track
0: goes cold. This place is so quiet; it's like a state park. So you know, you have you really have two worlds here. You have the VIR world, it, when the track's hot, uh, there's a, you can see anything. It's almost like living inside of a theme park. <laughs> and then at night, it's like being in a state park. Uh, you, you can hear cows, and uh, it's just a quiet place. Uh, I know Owen has been here enough times to capture some amazing sunsets right outside of our balcony.
1: You know? Oh, last night was unbelievable. It was. I mean, that was really cool. And I mean, can of explain, Alex, you, you sort of – you love coming here say before a weekend that we're coming in with them. just yeah. to see Yeah, week, we talk about the yeah. activity. I mean, kind of talk about that with what, what this place sort of turns into, then goes back to what, what it is right now.
0: Uh, yeah. It, it, there's such variety here. Uh, but when the big races come, I mean, I, I get so excited about it, but I come early because it's like watching uh, uh, the circus come to town <laughs> uh, and my, my wife and I, you know, we love the racing, but we almost enjoy watching all the transporters come in and line up and how accurately they get those monsters uh, parked side by side. And I understand IMSA has a rule that they all have to be washed and clean. And, they yeah. look, gosh, they're beautiful. And some of the uh, graphics on them and the coloring is just amazing. And then watching this place vir turn into a city Mm -hmm. Um, it's a little miniature city everybody comes in and they're doing their jobs and uh, um, the garages are alive with activity and the spectators slowly start showing up uh, towards the end of the week but I I really love the process Um, I'll say this in front of Owen but um, I have the greatest respect and appreciation for these drivers. Um, I think they're dedicated. I think they work hard. Uh, I think they have challenges that most people don't always see. Uh, when I'm on the racetrack and, and I'm not a racer, I'm out there having a good time, three things have to happen for me. Uh, I'm in a, I, the three things are, one, me, two, the car, and three, the track. And most of the time, the track doesn't change that much. And most of the time, the car doesn't change that much. So it's on me to create harmony out there. And so that's what I'm trying to put it all together. Well, these uh, professionals, they they got to do the same thing. But they've got many, many more obstacles to face. Uh, They've got weather. Uh, They do have a changing track sometimes. Uh, Their cars... uh, are the ultimate imperfection. But when I see these cars look so graceful going down the racetrack and they look like elephants when they leave the, gra- the track, it's amazing how unwieldy they become when they've left their, you know, ribbon of pavement. So, uh, the control, what these drivers have to create, uh, is amazing. And they my wife uh, wouldn't adopt these guys if and gals uh, if they weren't such nice people. Mm-hmm. They're all gentle people. They're all nice people, well-spoken, mannerly, polite, everything. Uh, we really impressed, uh, but we are – I mean, I'm blown away by how hard their work is and travel and what they do to uh, be away from their families, and uh, I just – I just admire them, and of course, I go back to the '60s, and there's some heroes back in the '60s where these guys, you know, were were driving cars that were very unsafe, right. and uh, it's remarkable that uh, a lot of them did survive. Not a lot of, them, maybe 50 percent of them survived. So I, I tip my hat to the professional race car driver of today, especially the road racer. Uh, you know i I'm, I'm i'm not throwing all race car drivers in this uh, uh i have a bias and I'll, i'm happy to stick to my bias but the road racers uh i think are remarkable and
2: do you think at least some of that comes from the fact that you you're out on the track and you've done that so you can you you, you know a little bit maybe there's a little bit more appreciation and understanding Absolutely. for what has to happen a casual a, fan that's a good point they come and they just they see yeah. the track they watch people race. and of course you've got to appreciate the the absolute professionalism yeah. and and the and the way somebody can make a car do what what these guys yeah. do is amazing but when you've been out on the track like you said it's you the car and the track yeah and so i think you have a a much broader appreciation for what that must be like in a competition with absolutely. the with absolutely. amongst the best of the best yeah. i mean these you know it's not you know, for me as a an enthusiast and as a fan, I think that's one of the things that you know I've always had that appreciation, but I don't know that I really understand it because I I don't track. You know, I, I don't do track days, and so I can hear it. And Owen and I talk about it a lot. I you know, we were talking earlier about you know Owen's appreciation for VIR and the and what he loves about this track is it's kind of an old school rhythm right track, yep. um, and you don't see that as much anymore. And you know, so. It's just the the appreciation for a road race, the track, the driver, the competition, I think is, uh, I'm with you 100% on that. It's, you've got to have respect for that. Yeah.
0: There's, as I said, you you know, you're trying to create harmony out there and I left out something because I don't have to deal with it because I don't race in races, but you get it all together, and then there's somebody breathing up your tailpipe that uh, distracts you. <laughs> that and, wants to win. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, as bad as it, you yeah, do. <laughs> it wants to go by you. So uh, I, uh, going back to 1990 or something, when I was just getting a good 9-11 and thinking I needed some education, and I have gone to all the race schools, Skip Barber and all that Porsche stuff, I've I've taken this very seriously. Uh I didn't want ever to be a poser. I think that's probably the most (laughs) uh, embarrassing thing. But um, would you believe my very first instructors from the Porsche, and I think it might have been in the first year that Porsche uh, Motorsports or Porsche Cars of North America, I don't know who was hosting it, but my two instructors were Derek Bell and Vic Elford. And when I met them, I didn't know who they were. I had never gotten into this. And they've been
1: at at that time. That was for our listeners. Just go Google those names yeah, and you'll figure Derek Bell. Derek Bell. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, Lamar and Dick and yeah. Quick Vic.
0: Yeah. So I didn't know how privileged I was to have these guys and they were not easy, (laughs) uh, instructors. Uh, and, but these poor guys, uh, and I shouldn't say that they're brilliant guys, but they didn't get paid much back in, their racing careers, and so they were working again yeah. to make ends meet, and uh, and I I really uh, was amazed. Uh, and I went home and I had to get out some books. This was before the internet and read up on these guys. And I said, I can't believe they were my coaches and teachers. And I've kept up with them over the years, and that's where some of this memorabilia uh, has come. Uh, and they're great guys. They're great guys really enjoyed them and uh, i got in the car with Derek bell in my car and it was supposed to be a slalom and he was driving and he was telling me how to do it not looking at the cones and driving with one hand and tell and telling me <laughs> what to do and i've never seen car control like that these guys are for real
2: uh Derek bell right instructing with one hand and you know
1: and, and probably not not yelling, but talking. Um, Vic would yell. You would yell. I remember, uh, Vic, I've heard stories about Vic. Yes. <laughs> yell. Yeah.
0: Uh, Vic was uh, teaching uh, braking to a bunch of us, and you would drive through a chute of cones, and at the end of the chute was uh, a cone, and he would, at the last minute, tell you to brake. And I put on the brakes uh, one time too softly, and, you know, the cone was still... 10 yards (laughs) to, he wanted you to stop on the cone. And then another time I locked up the car and he yelled at me, he said, too much thigh, (laughs) you break with your foot. So from then on, I knew that you don't break with your thigh. Uh, And then with Derek Bell, when he told me to get in the car and he got out of the car, smart man, and told me to do the slalom, the slalom was, uh, was, uh, you know a long slalom at the end of the slalom there was a cone that you'd have to drop down into first gear and go around a real tight turn and uh, uh come back and i um got through the slalom pretty well and when i went to go to first gear i put it in reverse oh, and yeah. i didn't hurt the car but i said oh, i hope nobody sees that <laughs> or and, hears that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and by the time i got back Bell was doubled over laughing, and I said, how did you know? And he said, white lights, white lights. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Turned the lights <laughs> on. The, back. the reverse lights comes on. That's yeah. a telltale sign. Yeah, yes. yeah. So he caught me. But uh, it was a wonderful experience. I would say, and my, my wife Gail would say, uh, that one lit my fire. And from then on, I bought, you know, a little better cars and went to schools and tried Tried to learn uh, more each time, and uh, my son Carrigan, who was in racing with uh, G and W Racing, and then later with Synergy Racing when they rebranded, uh, you know, was a big help on what to get. And,
1: uh, yeah, was, I mean, it, just to back up real quick. I mean, I guess I got to ask, because I mean, I've known you guys for so long, and we, I guess, we kind of just skipped right over. But how did Kerrigan get the bug? Really, I mean, it was my fault i mean where did that start because all of a sudden i mean he is where he is today with vir but it was at gnw which turned into synergy but what world did he come out of i mean where did he catch on to like that you were doing this and that he wanted to be a part of it
0: uh i i think i, I had some cars there for a while a couple of Audis, a couple of porsches and yeah. he he enjoyed those cars um uh, he later uh drove a few Audis himself he uh at one time he was a resident of uh, snowy Colorado and he had an Audi uh, fastback Quattro I forget what model it was, but it was one of those that you see on the rallies and, mm-hmm. and he would tell me that, you know, that thing could go through the snow <laughs> with the right kind of tires uh, that, you know, most other cars couldn't. So, I mean, he was, a he became an enthusiast himself uh, uh, and he was in the ski industry and, was pretty successful there, but uh, was also a good husband when his wife uh, took a job in Virginia, and we were thrilled to get him back. Uh, he, he didn't have a job, and yeah. a wonderful friend, Cole Scrogham of uh, GNW, called Kerrigan up, cold call. Cole knew me and probably had met Kerrigan a few times and said, uh, I need a fueler for uh, a race in, at Daytona. Well, this is
1: this not just any Daytona,
0: right? It was the 24 hours, yeah. <laughs> but, the Rolex 24, but I don't think, I don't think Kerrigan really realized that. And he got there. Yeah. Cole said, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to pay you much, but here's your plane ticket and I'll feed you and here's your uniform. And that was all Kerrigan. Needed. Uh, that's all anybody would need. Well, yeah. that's yeah. all I need. need. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. How big were his eyes when he, cause <laughs> yeah. you? I think you were down yeah. there with him. correct? Yeah,
0: I was. And uh, you know, Vic Alfred and Derek Bell lit my fire back then, and then I think that lit Kerrigan's fire. Um, actually, it happened a step before that. We went to the first Ren Sport at Lime Rock. Okay, yeah, that was 2001, if I'm correct. And Kerrigan was uh, head of a ski company in Sunapee, in New Hampshire, at that time, and he uh, came down with his wife. And we came up from Virginia, and we met at Lime Rock for that weekend, and that was we thrilled to do us. You know, it was a, a, a festival of cars and racing and all that. And uh, Matt Drendel, uh, who's no longer with us, uh, was a wonderful car collector. And yeah, they
1: used to own Road Atlanta. His dad didn't, is that right? Yeah. yeah.
0: So. And um, co- the Scroggam family uh, maintained a lot of his cars, yeah. although he maintained his... But there was a good relationship, and then Matt Drendel uh, drove with uh, uh, GNW and Synergy, I think he crossed over, and actually Darren Law, who was here this weekend, was his racing buddy or partner. But Matt had just bought uh, the number 6, 917, 930 Sunoco 917 race car. And uh, Kerrigan and I helped we just stood around hoping to be convenient for somebody and uh uh and we knew the scroggums and uh, uh cole came over to uh kerrigan and said well we need somebody to stand guard don't want people to put their belt buckles on the car or yeah. get in the car and kerrigan <laughs> says i'm here and so i think for about 12 hours straight kerrigan stood there and guarded that car and Uh, that probably lit his fire as much as anything. And then I think that the, the 24 hour call came soon after, but I think I've got it right. And Kerrigan would certainly know, but that's, that's how it happened. And so, uh, poor Gail, both of us were lit up by then. (laughs) She's like, oh man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What did you create? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well then
2: then he took it and ran with it and.
0: Yeah. He, he's got, uh, we didn't know uh, at the time when he was a kid, uh, when he took all his toys apart uh that that was a good sign we thought it was a bad sign <laughs> and, and, but it really became a good sign he he had that kind of brain where he can look at something and see how it's put together take it apart put it back together or make it better um, uh and he's he's very precise uh he's very uh he's he's black and white he's rule oriented uh, he he follows the rules uh He made a statement to me, uh, you know, you can't help feeling good about your son, but he said, you know, for so many years I tried to make the race car safe for my race car drivers. Now that I'm in charge of a racetrack, I want to make the racetrack safe for those same race car drivers. And I think the race car drivers know that, and they appreciate uh, what Kerrigan's done uh, here at VIR because he's – He's uh, sorted out some kinks, uh, not on the track so much, but on the guardrails and he's smoothed out some fencing and some tire walls and stuff, and tried to make it pretty safe. You know, he's working hard. My other two kids are wonderful, too, so I don't mean to give it all away to Kerrigan, but he's the only car guy in the family, so.
1: No, and he's done, I mean, as a driver here, and he's done, a. I mean, just a wonderful job, and obviously it's. My, I consider my home track, and and love coming here. And just I've I've talked to him. Um, just it's fun to kind of I know him so well that I can go up and talk to him about what he's doing as far as wrapping the tires and doing different things, and um, and all the stuff he's learned about pavement. You know, it's like yeah. Road Atlanta a couple of years ago, uh, the pavement was coming up and who during, they, uh, during a race during a race during the petite Le Mans and who, who does uh Imsa call reach out to old Kerrigan <laughs> and Kerrigan's actually out on the track yeah. and so I mean I know you're proud of your other kids but it's got to be pretty special that he's kind of followed yeah. in and and to see what he's accomplished these yeah. days now
0: yeah and and deep down uh uh he goes home tired every day, but he, he loves it. Uh, you know, this is a passion for him. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and thank you for talking to him. Owen. Uh, he thrives on feedback, uh, from, from race car drivers, yeah. you know, when, uh, he and Pat, Pat Long are very good friends and, uh, you know, Pat will say, you know, give him some feedback on some things and Kerrigan says, well, you know, let's do it, you know? Yeah. And, um Christensen was here, which was amazing to me.
1: Uh oh yeah, we were here a couple he was here a couple of years ago. Yeah. When nine, we were doing an event I think nine year. time Lamont
0: winner. No, um, never he's never been here either until no, till
1: that day that we were here.
0: Right. And um you know, this thrilled Kerrigan and and by the way, Kerrigan's more Audi than Porsche, if you really pin him down, but he he loves both brands. But uh Mr. Audi was on the track and Mr. Audi comes back and says, This is an amazing track. I've never been on this track. I love this <laughs> yeah, track. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he he and Kerrigan says, Well, is there anything I need to improve on? And he said, Yep. You need a little curbing uh coming out of uh turn two. And Kerrigan said, Next time you come, it'll be there. And he You
1: talking about NASCAR, I mean the left hander. Yeah. Uh yeah.
0: yes. Yeah. It's you, there now. Yeah, it's there now. And when <laughs> Christensen came back, and uh, I think this is amazing. Uh, It certainly tickled uh, Kerrigan. Christensen was finishing up his book, and it's an amazing, thick, big book of all of his racing experiences. And in one chapter, there's tracks. And he said, Kerrigan, I'm putting your track in there, but I can't put it in there. I'm going to give it an honorable mention uh, because I never raced Raced on on it. Yeah. So my favorite tracks that I raced on will get all the headlines, but it, but at the end of the chapter, I'll have some honorable mention, and BIR is there, and they, he did do that. That's pretty Outstanding, cool. Outstanding, yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, uh, the other newcomer to him is, uh, name is slipping in my mind right now, Formula One driver, Porsche brand ambassador. Oh, uh, Weber. Yeah, Mark, Mark Weber. Mark Weber was here we, was, with another day that we did right. for the Ingrams yeah. and stuff. So, he, yeah. He he said, good gracious, I didn't know this was here. You know, he, yeah. he had a great day. And, oh, I'm not going to remember his name, but one of the great test drivers, uh, and he's driving e-race cars for Porsche right now. Um,
1: yeah, his name is uh, slipping because he replaced – so we were doing a Primland event uh, for our listeners that uh, Primland does, it, yeah. which is a great he resort. Was yeah. um, I can't remember if it was a Porsche driver. So Tom Long and myself were part of that. You know, we're, we're the we're the B crew for those weekends but (laughs) but tom normally comes in christensen but he couldn't make it but it was another porsche factory driver who'd never been here either a european driver and hadn't Uh,
0: driven that much in the united states States, yeah and and when he was given the address to get here and drove through the countryside he thought he was going to be on and he said this he said oh i thought i was going to be on some podunk little country track you know (laughs) dirt track right uh, virginia in the middle of a field somewhere and, and he's I just remember him saying, this is a proper track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he had a ball that day, and uh, I think he'll forever remember VIR. But, um, you know, God bless Connie Nyholm for, and Harvey and uh, for uh, what they've done. Uh, the, we know the Stouts, they've helped uh, also. And, uh, you know, it's just been a, a great uh, experience for me because I don't know how to play golf.
1: Yeah, and we get that a lot. I mean, with some of our—I mean, not listeners, but some people that we've had on here already. Like, th- this is what—like, you don't play golf. This when you do weekends, like right now, because what you're driving right now is an old GS car, mm-hmm. um, old synergy. I guess it would have competed in oh seven, oh eight, somewhere in there. Is that Cont- right? Continental tire. In the Continental tire. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go out on the track, I mean, that's your enjoyment and your stress reliever now you're semi-retired you know for the most part but that's that's your relief to to kind of get away from everything
0: well i'm 74 and as long as i can get in and out of that roll cage uh, i'm gonna do it Uh, a lot of men my age uh, you know buy that easy boy recliner Mm -hmm. or uh, maybe wait around for a tea time and have lunch at the club Um, nothing against that but uh, I want to stay active uh, and Kerrigan, or somebody's going to tell me when it's time to get off that track, and I probably would be myself. But, you know, the reflexes are good, and the eyesight's excellent, so I'm going to stick with it as long as I can, as long as I'm safe. Uh, and it also, you cannot stop focusing when you're out on that track. You, I was the, just going to say that. The yeah. minute you daydream, and people my age daydream, and lose focus and I'll come in if I'm finding myself not paying attention because things happen out there. Even, you know, I think the fastest I go on the back straightaway and the fastest that car will go uh, is about 130 something. So I don't do much more than that, but things happen quickly when, you know, when you're playing a tennis match, you can look it up in the stands between serves, but not out here. Um, Yeah. You don't want to be looking off. no, (laughs) no. No. And, uh, you know, another group of people I want to give a shout out to is corner workers. Uh, those people are lifesavers. Uh, they're out there all day in hot, cold, windy, wet weather. And, uh, they're watching you and your car. And, uh, I've had, uh, not that I've had too many incidents, but, you know, they'll, t- they pointed out, I had an under tray that was dragging on my car. I would never have known that. So I got black flagged and we got that fixed and, um, you know, if you read their flags, they're giving you a lot of information that's very helpful. Uh, and uh, I do a lot of point buys, so I'm good at that. Uh, <laughs> when you're <laughs> when you're not the fastest person on the track, but uh, you know, again, as you said, Owen, I'm out there to enjoy it. it uh, it's not always relaxing because I, I think it's uh, it's it's something that you've really got to pay attention. Well, to. no, you got to pay attention.
1: Yeah. I guess, it's, but that's your. Uh, I remember talking to. you. When you retired, that you were looking forward to to be on track more at that right. time. I, it's like okay, now I can really right. I can come here and kind of get away and be be right. here at VIR more than, than yeah. I could before.
0: I, I had I not that I would sneak away, but I had to find time to get. I had a job that was could be twenty four seven if I didn't allow it, and uh, frankly, nobody in Richmond really knew that I had this hobby. Uh, it some people have figured it out now, but most people don't understand it. Uh, I don't go to too many cocktail parties anymore, but, you know, no offense, I'm picking on golf, but everybody was talking talking about their golf game at the end of the cocktail party, uh, you know, and, oh, I laid up on 17, or I went for it on the, you know... uh, you know, and I got nobody to talk to. Uh, that, well, I was doing 130
2: at BIR <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, just and yesterday. do you? <laughs> I was going for it between three and four and you know, but, getting after it.
0: But I don't need to talk to people about it. I feel good about it. It makes me feel like uh, I'm doing something not everybody can do. And most people that I know that do come here and say, whoa, is this in Virginia? I didn't know this existed. I didn't know you guys did this kind of thing. Uh, most of these people don't know how to do it, don't want to do it, can't do it, yeah. or get sick doing it. So um, it makes me feel like, well, I can do something somebody else can't do.
2: So now that you're – because you come out here a lot. Gail had said that you guys are here every weekend, every other weekend, very
0: – couple A uh, couple of weekends a month. month. Uh, usually. How, many, how many track – how
2: often are you on the track? Can you get out on the track?
0: Um. I'll tell you right now I get no special privileges from, uh, the president of BIR. Um, I have to align myself with uh, a run, a running group that day, whether it be the club days here, which, uh, I do some of, but not a whole lot. Uh, the Ingram days, uh, David Murray days, uh, uh, sometimes, uh, occasionally a bunch of uh, contemporaries will rent the whole track mm-hmm. and split it up. Uh, I I spend time here, but I'm not a junkie that comes out and races all day long. Uh, I'm I think I'm smart enough. I'll take uh, thirty minutes, uh, a thirty minute run in the morning, another thirty minute run that morning, maybe another. Uh, so that'll be about an hour and a half in the morning, and then I might do an hour and a half or an hour in the afternoon. And it takes it out of you. Mm-hmm. Again, I admire these pro racers. Oh, they man. can go for two, three, four hours. I don't know how they do it. And you know, I'm 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 spent by then. Uh, this week's amazing. Uh, tomorrow will be my fourth straight day on the track. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's for the fun of it. So I'm not trying to prove anything. I'll go out and I'll come in when 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 it feels right to come
2: in. Yeah. One of the things I was going to ask because I know. You know, for me watching, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, like when they set the Corvette record out here, you know, the, yeah. the lap record and the Corvette and that kind of thing. How often does that happen where a manufacturer will come out and, and run the track and do those, try to do those kind of things? Because I think VIR has become yeah, kind of a go-to.
0: Yes, uh, I've gotten in trouble with Kerrigan uh, on some of those events. Um, a couple of years ago, Corvette and Cadillac were testing out here. And of all the manufacturers, GM seems to be the most uh, strict about nobody here. And they pay for it. Kerrigan has a deal. And I think they like this place because of the remoteness. Uh, I'm a villa owner, so I'm entitled to come here whether the track is (laughs) open or not. (laughs) This particular day, uh, Gail and I, as we usually do, get here around lunchtime, and I heard somebody on the track, and I said, who's on the track? And I I don't usually check to see who's going to be here. And I saw a bunch of, well, they looked like Corvettes and Cadillacs in camouflage going around, and I was watching from the balcony, and no sooner than five minutes or so, Kerrigan calls and said, Dad, would you get inside, please? Um, General Motors had ratted me out already. And uh, Kerrigan had to call them and explain that I was a villa owner and I was not Auto Week magazine doing right. a spy photo. Uh, but you can't get into the paddock. Uh, they'll have a, a guard uh, posted at the bridge there. And General Motors very private. Ford seems more open about it. And there's interesting things. Uh, I was here once, and I saw every exotic car going around the track. And I just assumed it was a magazine doing a, uh, an article and comparing them all and they were really f- thrashing them uh around and i went down to the paddock and i i asked uh, uh hey you know wh- what's going on and most of these folks were so wonderful and they said oh we're nsx the car hadn't been finished yet but we're just checking out oh, so they
2: were just comparing it to the, yeah, against the said, competition yeah.
0: yeah uh same way uh there was about 10 camaros here and one mustang one day <laughs> And <laughs> I said, what ha- what's going on here? And they said, uh, I hope I don't get in trouble with anybody. But um, I think the latest magazine article showed that uh, the Mustang had a little better uh, uh, performance in the corners or something. So the Camaro was here trying to figure out how to uh, match that, which I'm sure they did. So. One big change, uh, 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 we've been talking history, but I I have a track car that's set up for the track, and I enjoy it, and it's safe, and safer than a street car. And that used to be a big deal if you had a track car, but it's not a big deal anymore because production cars, these big Camaros and these big Mustangs and uh, Porsches, street cars, all these street cars have 500 horsepower. Yeah. yeah. And... uh, Way Shoot. faster. Yeah, they're faster. Um, maybe uh, I, I'm a little better in the t- corners, uh, but uh, you know, it used to be, you know, you had to create a car to be successful on the track. Well, now you can just go buy something out, of buy the sh- one. out of the showroom.
1: I mean, talking about that is because I, I mean, there's so many listeners that are probably uh, new to the sport or just you know driving enthusiasts and you know overall that. Yeah, You decide to go kind of a different route with it. Like you bought an X, I don't think that car ever raced, but it's got full roll cage. And you talk about that. Some of the cars that, that are bought right off the showroom floor are actually faster in a straight line than the, the car I race. I mean, right. laptop, not, but down the straightaway, right. especially at DIR, yeah. could be doing 175 in a little three point harness. Um, we've always stressed. At least I have is that you know always go for safety. But I mean, what was the reason for you to buy? You've got a pretty 911 that you drive on the street, but you have a sole dedicated, basically, it's a race car that you use on the on the track.
0: Yes, uh, I had a a, GT, a nineteen not a nineteen a two thousand seven GT three that I thought was the cat's pajamas, and it is. It was the best car I ever had, and it was my street car it was my go-to-work car and it was my track car yeah and that car was so scary fast so quick especially going down the back straightaway. away <laughs> yeah. right uh, and I, you know kerrigan might have said a few things kerrigan liked the car i i just realized that i wasn't in the safest car uh it was magnificent car but if i was going to do this on a regular basis it probably was smarter to be in a track car a car that was prepared for racing um kerrigan and synergy and cole Scragum were at that time building what they call a sy- synergy build car they were really nice um porsche 997s that were uh either carrera or carrera s's some of them had x51 packages or x50 packages and uh they were making them for customers that wanted to arrive and drive or race in the continental tire series. So they had, they built 15 of them before, uh, the 08 recession kind of killed all that. And, uh, as Owen stated, I I got a customer car that never really raced The customer kind of had some financial issues and called it quits. And, uh, since Kerrigan was one of the builders of that car, I felt it was my duty as a father to get one of those cars. But uh, it really helped my wife and Kerrigan feel like I was in a car that had a full cage and a darn good cage if you look at it. Uh, it's a piece of art. Uh, fire suppression yep. Yep. and, and uh, the suspension and everything is tight and nice. Uh, and It's been a great car for me. It, it's not the fastest car out there, and I know it, and I don't care.
2: Question is the – so we were looking at the car, Mike and I, when, uh, you know, we were checking it out, and it is beautiful. It's it's a full-on race car. You know, when you look inside, it's – there's nothing in there that would be street, you know, worthy, whatever. But when you pop the the, the engine cover, it looks like a production motor. Did they do much to the, to the engine back there, or
0: – They weren't allowed to. Uh, they had to go – my car is straight spec – continental tire series you have to start with a showroom stock car okay that's why it's got a sunroof
2: uh i didn't even notice that yeah yeah
0: and uh well the sunroof it's just a lid now which i told kerrigan they were ahead of their time because it's an escape lid <laughs> yeah uh, and you know? right. yeah, we've uh, got on the gt4s now yeah so uh they couldn't they could modify and kerrigan is should be interviewed on this not me uh they could modify suspension and tires right and, Things like that, they couldn't touch the engine, and I think that's a stock transmission.
2: Well, from a reliability standpoint, it's yeah, bullet, yeah.
0: bulletproof. Uh, you know, take it to the dealership to have it yeah, serviced. Uh, right, uh, frankly, uh, it was the ideal race car for me. Uh, it's it's very little maintenance. Right, I I I, I haven't sp- until recently. Uh, I hadn't spent very much money on it. it. It carried me for about seven or eight years with nothing but oil changes and. It it's not, it's not too hard on tires. So it's been great. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was just kind of alluding to. Like, you went the right way of, of yeah. doing it with the full cage and, and the full harness and everything. But where, um, you know, somebody could go buy a GT3 and take it straight to the track. But, I mean, as you said, the GT3 that you had, it's like you realized how fast it is, especially yeah. around this place. Because this, yeah. you know, this is a man's track. It's sick. It's it really hairy in some spots, you know, that's in a street fast. car. That's how fast they it's are. It's fast, yeah. Um, so that's just that I want some of our listeners. I've always been on the, you know, proactive side of safety first, you know, and don't worry right. so much about the speed of the car and, hey, what I'm driving when we're kind of, you know, bench tracing after an event. But, like, make sure that it's really safe and then uh, have fun at the same time yeah. and learn some stuff, and, and you've done that the right way. Guys, I hope you enjoyed part one of this uh two part series. I sure did, of course, to kind of relive that again.
2: I did too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to to listen back to that and uh you know, kind of relive that that time we spent there, you know, for the afternoon with Alex. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about racing. Pokono this you were, past weekend. We, I yeah, yeah, we went to the yeah, track too. Yeah. I was gonna say you
1: yeah. you did a little bit of you know, you were at the track. Did you drive? I didn't drive this weekend. Yeah. No, no. Unfortunately, Ted didn't let me in the car. No, I'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> it was for him. No, it was it was a great weekend. We went to Mid Ohio and to uh, International GT, which is part of the SVRA, uh, which is a vintage series group. Up in Mid Ohio is where the race was, and awesome facility. I love going to Mid Ohio. And then, uh, yeah, he drove the Porsche GT3 Cup car that he's got in that GT series and did a great job. Ted hasn't been on the track, gosh, since end of February. And so really good four days of driving for him and did a fantastic job and ready to do some more driving, but it was, yeah, it was getting a little twitchy. Oh yeah. <laughs> the cars firing up. Yeah. I mean, if he'd have said, Hey, jump in here and do a few. Feel- oh yeah. Uh, been out. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause those are fun cars to try. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I love
2: the little teaser video you sent out there, you know, firing it up and, Uh, hearing the exhaust from the back of the car, that was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, that was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. that was.
2: And I'm glad the weather held out. I mean, it got a little gnarly here in Nashville, and I know it probably drifted that way up north a little bit there. But, uh, you know, from what you were talking about, the weather held out and everything worked out fine.
1: Yeah, no, the rain um, held off. It did rain a little bit because I know you were talking about driving up, and at the time, you know, I thought Saturday was going to be a complete washout, and it did rain. Quite a bit at one period of time. But luckily, the two races that he runs in on Saturday, we completely missed it. One was in the morning. One was late afternoon. No problems whatsoever. Middle of the day, it did rain. And then, you know, they had two races on Sunday that he did. And we packed up and and I drove home. So, it was a great great weekend for him and good to see everybody again. And just, you know, we've talked on the phone but and through, you know, yeah. Zoom calls or whatever. But, no, it was really good just to see everybody. Yeah, just
2: to get back face-to-face and... You know, yeah. talk a little bit. So we had some other racing Dover, or not Dover
1: uh, Pocono. There, we do have something about Dover coming yeah. up later. That's what he's, he's got Dover Before on she, the mind. It's on my
2: mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pocono. Yeah. So I watched both of them back to back. So this was a, a unique weekend or was supposed to be a unique weekend uh, with NASCAR in that they were going to try something different in the schedule and have this back to back cup race, you know, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then of course COVID came and kind of rearranged the entire schedule. Anyway, so it wasn't I don't think it had the impact that it would have probably initially had. Yeah. Um watched both races. One was the mirror of the second one, only first and second flip flop. So you had Harvick, you know, walking away from it and Hamlin trying to catch him there at the closing laps. And then on Sunday, Hamlin was, you know, walking the race and Harvick was trying to close in on the closing lap. So um good it was good racing. Uh, you know, quite a few I mean there was some some accidents but Pocono is a it's really it's come down to a mileage race which is crazy to me it's like the stage racing I don't know maybe you can from a driver's standpoint expand on that or even you know from a fan standpoint but you know the stages really they weren't taken into consideration like you might see there's some strategy played do I stay and get stage points or do I you know pit early and get track position that kind of thing this was strictly a two-stop race
1: yeah, so I think it's, and we talked, you know, pre show about this. Is, it's just sort of my opinion that maybe NASCAR needs to look at um, the road courses in general and, um, and maybe Pocono and maybe some other tracks out there. Are, you know, I'm not sure exactly uh, because you kind of brought it to my attention. And then I kind of noticed it when I was watching the second race. I watched the replay of it on Sunday night that a lot of the guys were diving for pit road three mm-hmm. laps to go because two laps ago, I think they closed the pits yep. on the stages. And so remember on the stages, they throw the caution. So it's a guaranteed caution, you know, that's out there. Right. It two or three times during the race. So maybe that should go away. And the reason is that, you know, if I'm there for race wins, not such stage points, I'm looking at the end of the race. And so I'm going to pit three laps to go dive in because you're not going to lose a lap and you're going to get your pit stop done. You know, the caution's coming out and, which is going to bunch the field back, back up. up, so you're going to get your track position so Because everybody else is going to pit that didn't do that, yep. you know. And so, say I'm running 10th or 9th or whatever, I'm going to dive for pit road and the other guys stay out. Well, then they're going to cycle back. Because, like, Kurt Busch won the first stage on the second day. Then he never found the front again yeah, yep. at all. But he stayed out for that period to win that stage, and that almost probably cost him, right. you, know, the, you know, the track position. Because he had a fast car. He stayed at the front, you know, during 30 laps of that first run. So I think it's something maybe they need to look at. I mean, I'm not saying stage racing's bad, but maybe these manufactured cautions at some tracks just don't don't work, and maybe they need. Well, to and I don't know if that. it's,
2: yeah, because of the you know the track configuration with Pocono is so unique. I mean, you've got such a massive front stretch, and then you've got these three corners that, you know, there's not a lot of passing that that happens there because it's just difficult to get. You know, with the way the arrow package is, it's difficult to pass anyway. Um, and there's really not a corner where you can set that up because the straights are so long in between. I mean, it's just, it, it's always fun to watch. You know, I, I watched the race, I can appreciate it, but it was not, to me, it, it kind of took, it took a little bit away from it, you know, knowing that it was strictly a strategy. Strategy play.
1: Yeah. And so, and I don't know what two, so it's three turns there. So it's unique, you know, triangle turn one. I, I have to go back and look at some other stuff to see what it's mirrored after but turn two's the tunnel turn is mirrored after indianapolis Mm -hmm. turn three which is leads on the long straightaway you're just talking about that's after milwaukee which you know milwaukee you've been on milwaukee you've been been on that track in an rv (laughs) and so i don't know what i mean it's got unique turns for sure and um, then they put the traction compound down you know the pj1 i think you know they put that down in I don't know. I mean, I don't see how this would have been a factor because I only got a chance to watch the Sunday afternoon replay that a lot of the guys felt like the track was going away. And I don't know if it's some of the rain they had or just so many. They had a truck race. They had an ARCA race. They had an Xfinity race, you know, one cup race. And then, you know, the fin- you know not a feature, but the last race on Sunday was, was cup again. That maybe that compound, does it wear out? enough where it's an issue or not, but I mean, it just seemed like they didn't have the grip in the track that they had had, you know, on Saturday, but I know they did have a rain delay. Is that right on Sunday? Yep. Okay.
2: Yeah. And there was some issues with rain at the beginning of the race on Saturday, not so much from the rain itself, but the track was weeping in a couple of places and it was delayed. And, you know, so there was a, you know, a little bit of a challenge there. It didn't really seem to affect the race really at all, but yeah, I wonder if the weekend was just too much for the track. Yeah,
1: because I don't know how that. I just don't know enough because we don't use that type of compound that I know of um, at our tracks. But if does it just wear out a little bit and just caused a little bit of issue. But you know the cream of the crop, you know, rose again and yeah, Harvick was there. Which and, I'm surprised yeah, Harvick never won that race. Yeah, that's why it's one track he hasn't won at. Yeah. And now he now he has. So yeah. he was pretty excited about it. And they, <laughs> yeah. were, you know, they were talking about it. But uh That's always special though, as a driver. You want to check off as many tracks as you well, can. Well, yeah, because he'd been there
2: twenty-eight, yeah. that was his twenty-eighth race there or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it was pretty cool. And then, you know, Hamlin, like I said, I think Hamlin probably had a faster car on Saturday. It was just the way it was the way they pitted. And then on Sunday's race, Hamlin didn't just chop it up into three equal length segments. He went way long into that final, that final stint. I think he got down to like 18 or 19 laps to go. Yeah. And he could have gotten all the way down to like 10 laps to go. Um, you know, and he came back, he came in, didn't lose a lap, didn't lose that much time from where Harvick was at, you know, came back out and in, in front of him by like, I don't know, eight or nine seconds, or maybe it was about 13 seconds. He was running. He just, him down. It couldn't. Yeah. he was hard running him down, but he wasn't going to do it. I mean, they, from a strategy standpoint, it was played well, you know, it worked out well because it didn't work out on Saturday. So they changed it up a little bit on Sunday and they
1: ended up winning the race. And a little bit, this is maybe a preview, you know, to Indy, you know, because of the style of Pocono is at Indianapolis that these two are going to be fighting it out, you know, for the win, you know, obviously on Sunday at the Brickyard, but. um, I wish I, I wanted to go to that race. Yeah. No fans. No fans. No fans. I'll watch it at home. I mean that's fine. But that's a special you you've never been there, I guess. No, I've been there. You've been there. Oh, that's oh yeah. Right. yeah, you've been there. I
2: what? went to the inaugural Brickyard four hundred when right. Jeff Gordon won it in yeah. ninety
1: six or whatever. Yeah, it's a special place. Yeah, it's, it's a cool, cool place to go to.
2: Yeah, it's a fun track to be at to watch. It's kinda of tough to watch a race unless you're sitting really high and see the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, you can see everything. But it's it's fun. It's a I, it blows me away that you know, those corners are, are fairly tight and I think they're only banked at what, fourteen degrees or something. I mean there's Almost no banking, yeah. really at
1: Indy. Um, that's why it and, resembles Turn Two at Pocono. Yeah, you know it's pretty flat, and the
2: speeds they carry through there, it's it's crazy. It it defies logic, really, because uh, you know I mean when you're watching them on an on an oval, you know they're sticking to the track as the track's you know kind of going with them there. But at Indianapolis, it's flat. It's just mechanical, right? Yeah,
1: it's all it is. Yeah, I mean there's some arrow. But well, yeah, but they're, they're going to be you know. Those cars want to be out front, so they're going to get the clean air to get those down for us. But it is a lot of mechanical, too, at the same time. And then um, on Saturday, I didn't know – I mean, you watched both races, I think. Yep. So I watched a little bit of the replay, I guess, because they just had, like – it was replaying on Sunday night when I got home. Yep. That the Xfinity race, so Chase Briscoe won, which Chase has run in the Michelin Pilot Series. Ford, he's under contract with Ford, and so he he ran, um, gosh, in 18 – Maybe he ran Daytona, I think. So Ford makes him, you know, come run the road courses because they've come so important. And I don't know if they were doing this in the cup race, but he was actually shifting in turn one and turn three.
2: Yeah, no, I don't think they – so shifting in the cup race, they got they did away with did that with one their, or two years ago. Okay. I think they, they, they mandated the rear end they're gear okay. so that – so there's no advantage to shifting okay. anymore. So apparently they're not doing that in at the Xfinity level. Yeah, because
1: they showed his in-car. I mean, he – you could tell like where he was doing that and especially in turn turn three and you know it made a difference up off the corner yeah. and then actually in turn one that he was going back yeah. to third you know. well and
2: that's what they they talked about that a little bit in the broadcast i think it was maybe on sunday's race okay about you know it pulls so hard coming out of the corner and if they could grab that gear like they yeah. used to you know the engine would be you know up on power and and they could you know gather a little bit more ahead of steam going down there but they can't do that anymore. They changed so. the hand.
1: It, it actually helps the nose of the car, too. helps kind of, you know, just pull it around a little bit better. But I didn't know if they were letting them do that. I knew at one time they mandated they couldn't do it, and I just, you know, didn't watch the race fully on Sunday to understand if yeah, they were able to do that, some of the end cars that, that Chase actually won. And um, he's he's won, I think, on the Roval last year at Charlotte, too, an XFINITY car. So, you know, maybe some of his road course stuff is helping him yeah, out. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so he, he he racked that win up on, on Saturday. So,
2: so you got any plans for, uh, for the weekend?
1: Yeah. So I'm actually headed to, I, we just got a phone call. I guess Hugh was just calling me. Hopefully he's not canceling on me that I'm headed to, uh, Maryland, Virginia area to go hang out with him for the weekend. And, um, I'm going to fly to Philly and then, uh, I guess on Thursday and spend the fourth there and then fly back on Monday. So that's cool. where I'm, I'm headed. Just, to relax and weekend and, you know, see what kind of trouble we can get ourselves into. <laughs> Cause that, it's got. I mean, it'll have a motor. We're gonna, you know, boats, yeah. four wheelers, yeah. you know. Yeah, if it's got a motor, we're gonna run it. Yeah, and we've had a lot of fun, and there's a lot of stories we can't tell that, <laughs> that we've been together. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's gotten ugly. So, <laughs> yeah. and at that, those are recently, but uh, it'll it'll be a lot of fun. We'll have a good time, and you know, hopefully the weather ha- holds out. But what about you guys? Do anything? Yeah. Well. Speaking of, you know,
2: getting ugly and out of control, I'm headed, I think, we're going to head down just locally here and go to Cars and Coffee. Oh, that's right, yeah. Saturday morning, yeah. You guys yeah. are so, going to get, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to head down there and, and check that out. Last time I went was actually, it was in the winter, wasn't it? When we went, it was cold. Yeah. Um. So I didn't really get a chance to, you know, really check it out. So, you know, 4th of July weekend, we were just like, you know what, this it, it could be pretty cool. So I'll go down there and throw some driving life stickers Stickers around around. yeah yeah.
1: kind of hang out see what's going on down there Uh, yeah that'll be fun yeah yeah. that'll be good Yeah, i remember that's what you talked about that that i was gonna join you down there but i'm gonna take off for the northeast
2: i guess other than that i'm kind of looking forward to a three-day weekend so
1: yeah catch the race on sunday and then uh we'll get back at it on monday yeah so um hope everybody has a great fourth of july weekend and you know enjoy your time off a little bit, I guess, if you are working or I don't know I don't know what people are really doing I guess I they are working because well, I think Friday is officially Friday is a official holiday, holiday yeah. and stuff and be safe, especially the fireworks yeah. and um you know follow us on social media at driving life and they can contact us at connect at drivinglife dot com we will see you guys next week for part two with uh Alex Smith hope you enjoyed his first episode and uh definitely tune in for the next weeks i will be there all right see you guys okay, bro.